Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, good morning. I'm going to take my fist bumper tag off. <laughs> hey, let me pray again, and then and then we're gonna we're gonna jump into to Acts, uh, the very end of Acts four this morning. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for for reading. Y'all uh, y'all pray with me. Lord God, we uh, we come before you and we thank you for your word. God, thank you already for this time of of worship that we've had. And God, as I, as I prayed with our volunteers uh, this morning, I, I'm just going to echo that prayer now. God, we, um, we want to experience your presence this morning. Uh, the, the fellowship is, is sweet, <laughs> um, and it's, it's good to come and, and, and to do the things of ministry as even now we've got volunteers who are pouring into to little ones and uh, and playing and sharing Jesus with them. Um, it's, it's, it's good to, to serve one another. It's good to sing. Um, it's, it's, it's good to open up and, and for the word to be taught. But, but God, really, um, Jesus, we want to experience your presence. Um, if we if we walk away this morning and, and we don't we don't meet you here, uh, it's it's really for nothing. And so, uh, God, would you would you just um, I, I pray that that would be our expectation. I pray that we would, um, God, just believe not only that that you're you're here with us now, um, but God that you want to move in our midst today. So God, that's what we're asking. Holy Spirit, would you move in us? Would you, would you revive us? Would you renew in us that sense of expectancy? Would you renew in us a, a joy of our salvation? Uh, would, you, would you renew in us a sense of, of mission to make disciples of all nations, to love you and to love others? So God, have your way this morning. I pray that you would speak, and we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 4, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse 32 in a moment. When I was a kid, you, you, you had these like roving bands of children <laughs> that would just sort of wander around neighborhoods for hours at a time, <laughs> true story, uh, playing together, and that that was that was life in the that was life in the eighties. You you know you, in in the summertime, mom booted you out in the morning, uh, and then again after lunch, and you just waited for the dinner time call, and that was your cue. And by the time it was like the third or fourth dinner time call, and like the voice got a little more shrill, like you knew I need to go home, guys. Uh, no one was watching uh, the heat index. That wasn't a thing. <laughs> uh, 
we, we, you, you weren't worried about predator, like the only predator you were worried about is, is if the, the neighbor's Doberman got loose again. Um, but one of the memories that, that sticks out to me as a, as a kid was my, my mom's faithfulness to do these backyard Bible clubs with me, with my friends, with, with several of the neighborhood kids. It, and, and what is all the more amazing now is, is I, as, I, as I look back and as I think back, is how sacrificial this was for my mother. I'm not saying that mom was Marie from Everybody Loves Raymond, if you've ever seen that show. Like, we, we did not have plastic slip covers on the couch. Love my mom. Love you, mom, if you're listening. Um, we didn't have plastic slip covers. She wasn't quite to Marie's status, but, but mom just grew up. Her heritage was one where, man, you, you, you keep the house in order. You keep it tidy. You you keep up, uh, you know the the appearances. And into this during the summers, every week she would invite like a dozen or so rowdy, sweaty neighborhood kids into our house, uh, and she would bust out the the flannel board, Bible story board, right? And she'd be sticking Moses up on that mug, like uh, just just teaching the Bible. But you know what? My friends Bobby and Angie Montgomery heard the gospel, and Cedro heard the gospel, and Matthew Howland heard the gospel, and so did many others because my, my mom sacrificially opened up our home. And so what was being instilled in me at, at, a, at an early age is that Christians sacrificially serve. Amen. Christians sacrificially serve, and this is a theme we've we've so, we've repeatedly touched on over the years at Restoration. But church, think about the things that the American church is known for right now. Think about some of the things that the American church is known for right now. See, John thirteen thirty five reveals that the outside world will know that we are disciples of Jesus by the way that we love one another. Yeah, I say this often at weddings, but when we, uh, when we, when we look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't just talk about giving or sharing. He didn't just, it, it wasn't, He just didn't, He didn't talk about it. He, he put some skin in the game, <laughs> literally. He put some skin in the game. God, God's love manifested itself in action, and, and in uh, more than lip service, it was revealed uh, at a Roman cross through Jesus as he laid down his life for others. God's love was revealed. In the early church, they reflected this so well. They, they reflected this well. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at just a snapshot of, of the early church in Jerusalem. Like this, is, like, this is the OG early church. This is the early, early church, okay? Uh, and, and so, and, and we're going to break down what Luke records, what he recorded, and we're going to examine if what we see is, is, it, is it prescriptive or is it descriptive? Meaning, uh, is, he, uh, is this what he's prescribing for the church of all times, or is he describing uh, the situation of the early church, uh, or, or maybe a little bit of both? 
Uh, we're going to look, we're going to consider the context that shaped their giving and their sharing. But, but here's the question as we dive in this morning. If the main, if the main thing that you are supposed to be known for is, is your sacrificial love, uh, how are you doing? If the main thing that you're supposed to be known for is your sacrificial love, how, how are you doing? And if that sacrificial love is supposed to overflow into sacrificial sharing, how's that going? How's that going right now? Church, we, we, need, to, we, need, to let, we need to let God's Word define our mission right now. Let me just say that again. I don't know if y'all are hearing me this morning. We need to let God's word define our mission. Amen? Not the culture, not, not the world around us. Make disciples of Jesus. Of all nations. Great commission. Love God. Love others. The great commandment. The world doesn't define how we love. God does. So, so what, what do we share to reveal the love of God? And this morning, I, I want to talk about three things that, that we share, and we see this from the text. And as we look at verses 32 and 33, the first thing that we share is we sacrificially share the gospel. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, share the gospel. Look at your other neighbor and say, you too. Share the gospel. Verse 32 and 33 says this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they, they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to stop right there. And, and we'll, so when it says the full number of those who believe, we're going to come back to that. That's important. We'll come back to the significance of that. But Luke tells us that the, the, the church at Jerusalem was, was of one heart and one soul. In the Greek, whereas the heart tends to emphasize the sort of the causative source of a person, their, their intentions and their, their desires, uh, the soul refers to the entire inner being of a person. And so let me, let me kind of paint a picture of, of what was going on with this early community in Jerusalem. What's in view here is a, a gospel-saturated unity that Jesus had talked about in John 17. Amen. Like they they were unified. In fact, as as you look at as you look at Acts two, as you look at Acts four, you can't help think of Jesus' high priestly prayer, where Jesus just before his crucifixion had had prayed and cried out to the Father, Father, that they may be all one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that, check this out, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you even as you loved me. So the goal of the unity is to put on display 
the love of God. Amen? Now notice, <laughs> this wasn't like some kumbaya moment, right? This, this wasn't uh, uh, this uh, token unity that was surface level, that, that was just like a, a little worship service where everybody held hands and sang kumbaya and then went on their separate ways to their separate lives. No, their unity overflowed into sharing. Amen? Their unity overflowed into sharing. And, and we'll, we're going to break down the second half of verse 32 with our third point this morning. But the net effect, church family, was this demonstration of power. In the Greek, it's, it's this word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite for. But it, so not just, not just like regular power. Literally, it, it's mega power. Like there, there's, no, there's no such thing as like a gentle explosion of dynamite, okay? <laughs> their, their church, their unity exploded into sharing. It exploded into sharing. And make no mistake, the first thing that they regularly shared was the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was the cost of them opening up their, their mouths to continue to share Jesus? Well, you got to go back to Acts 4.18. Right? They had already been thrown in prison. They had already been locked up. So, it, so moving forward, every time they opened up their mouths, they weren't just going to get uh, the label uh, bigot or hater. They weren't going to get accused of hate speech. They weren't going to get made to feel uncomfortable or blasted online. No, like there was a very real threat of them getting thrown thrown back into prison. And as we keep rolling in Acts, we get to Acts 6, we're going to see with Stephen, it wouldn't be long before Christians would start losing their lives just for saying that Jesus is the Messiah who saves people from their sins, that He's raised and He's victorious and He's at the right hand of the Father. Stephen would lose his life. Church, I, I can't hear me. I, I can't drive this point home enough the first thing that was shared was the gospel. This was the foundation. Hear me. Man, do not miss this. This was the foundation of their community. Why, why, why is this important? The church is in danger. Right now, the church is in danger. Perhaps globally, Definitely the American church. Hear me. We've changed the definition of the gospel to the effects of the gospel. Let me say that again. We've changed the definition of the gospel to the effects of the gospel. We're no longer leading with Christ crucified and raised for sinners. We're making the works the foundation and not the call to faith in Jesus and repentance of sin. This past week, I, I, I saw... I saw the, 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 there was a protest against BTU uh, in, in town. I don't know if y'all saw this. And, and let me, don't get it twisted. <laughs> um, I, I, am, I am all for peaceful protest. It's part of what, what is being an American. Um, but keep in mind, this, this protest went down 
Um, uh, after BTU has already for three months been forgiving people's bills. And so starting, I think it was July 15th, there were some folks whose uh, they were going to start turning off people's powers after three months of, of bill forgiveness. And, and, and I saw uh, a friend of ours, a uh, friend and, and uh, loves Jesus and was toting a sign at the protest that just said, come on, church. And, it, and the sign just said Acts 4.34, which says, not a needy person among them. And here's, here's, here's the, the nuance, and here's the, 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 the question. Who is the them? Who is the them of Acts 4? Who is the them of Acts 4? One of the things I'm seeing more and more is we're taking biblical principles and, and biblical ideals prescribed for the covenant community who, of those who have received the grace of Jesus Christ and we're applying it generally to the world. Are y'all with me this morning? And this is yet another way of us seeking to impose the kingdom on the culture, but, but, but not necessarily the king or the heart transformation that only the king can bring. The key phrase of verse 32 is those who believed. Those who believed. This, this kind of community, hear me, can only happen when the gospel is the foundation. And when there is a gospel ethic working from the inside out in people's hearts who have been transformed from the inside out by the grace of God in Jesus. Hear me, we're, we're going to get to the sharing of goods. Like, we're going to get there. It's... it's all throughout this passage, we're going to get to the meeting of needs, but we've, we've been hammering home this point the last few weeks. The most loving thing you can do to the outside world, the most loving thing that we can do even among one another is to share the good news of Jesus. To daily just come back to this this. The, the grace of the gospel that we all need every day. See, Jesus, we come back to Jesus being the standard of our righteousness so that we can all get off our high horses and stop comparing ourselves, our relative righteousness. It, we, we share that it's only through His atoning work on the cross that, that we all, all have real forgiveness of sin. It's only through His resurrection that, that we all have real victory and real hope of reconciliation and restoration. You know, this is the foundation. Just like the apostles, we share the gospel. We share Jesus, even when it's not popular, even when it's costly, even when it's going to lead to sacrifice. Second thing this morning, as we look at the second half of verse 33, we sacrificially share grace. Once you look at your neighbor and say, hey, share grace. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say, you too. <laughs> we share grace. See, not only were the apostles giving their testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but great grace 
was upon them all. See, not only was great power on display, great grace was on upon them as well. And the Greek word, that Greek word, charis, is a word meaning favor. Christians today talk in terms of the undeserved favor of God. I think the best picture of this is in Ephesians 2. Because Paul in Ephesians 2, uh, see, it's, it's, not that, it's not that God saves us because we're so awesome. It's not that God saves us because we checked off all the qualification boxes for salvation. It's not that God saves us because we can merit His favor. Amen? Like we're all, we're not at ground zero. Paul paints a different picture. We're not even at ground zero, church. Paul says in the first few verses of Ephesians 2 that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He says that we're following the course of this world, ultimately a course that is energized by the work of Satan. He says that on, on top of that, we're, we're, we're eagerly living for our own sinful passions. And so as you roll through the first few verses of Ephesians 2, you're like, man, this is really bad news. And to that I say, amen. It's really bad news. And then you get to verse 4 and it says, but God. But God and his mercy. And I used to tell our students as a youth pastor, I said, hey, but God is really good news for dead people. And then you roll into eight verses eight and nine. It says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. It, it, it's, it's not our own doing. It's not a result of, of works so that no one may boast. But see, this, this grace, it, it, it's not church. Man, it's not. This is where we're getting it twisted. It's not just this vertical grace that we receive from God to man. What we see in verse 33 is a horizontal grace that characterized the entire early church community. Amen? It flowed outward. See, grace is not a commodity that we consume. It's the character of God that we're called to display. And, and don't, don't gloss over like, oh, they shared grace with one another. Listen, don't gloss over this. Their, their number had reached well over 10,000 at this point. Some said, some Folks say, no, it's, it's more than that if you, if you add it. Because at one point it says 5,000 men, right? So you, you start adding in wives. You start adding in children. Some say that the covenant community of those who are following Jesus at the, this time could have been as many as 20,000 people. And so the, listen, when, when, when it says great grace, when it says great grace was upon them all, this wasn't a country club where everyone had mutual interests, right? <laughs> where everyone was affluent and homogenous. Yes, they were, they were all still primarily Jewish at this point. But, but keep in mind, we see this in Acts 2. Several in their number had come from the dispersion. It was these Greek-speaking Jews that had come from all over the world to Jerusalem and they encountered Christ and, uh, and, and a lot of them just stayed. And they're like, I kind of like this Jesus thing. Let's stick around. So for Luke... Look, we got to understand their, their number was comprised of all, all types. It was comprised of rich and poor and a whole lot more poor. 
for Luke to say that grace, great, great grace was upon him, y'all, that's, it was monumental. And, and, and I would say, humanly, it, it was impossible. Let me say that again. Humanly, it was impossible. And why is this significant for us? I, I think about the vision that drives me and that drives Res, Re, Restoration Church Bryant. This vision of, of seeing a, a diverse body of believers come together to make disciples of Jesus, to reach their city, and to reach the world. And, and I, I can't think of a stronger gospel apologetic Right then, socioeconomically, people from all different places, people of all different colors, white, brown, black, people on this side of the political aisle and that political aisle, that side of the political aisle, coming together to make disciples of Jesus. I can't think of a stronger gospel apologetic in a culture, in a, in a nation that is so stinking divided right now. And so fractured, the only path forward is through grace. We must be characterized by the grace of God and Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't speak truth. But we speak truth seasoned with grace. And the reason we do is because, again, we recognize that Jesus is the standard of righteousness. Not you, not me, not any one of us, because we've all failed a million times, countless times. And so we're slow to anger. We're quick to forgive. We're quick to give people the benefit of the doubt. Whatever happened to that? We leave room for the gospel. We leave room for people to grow. We leave room for the Holy Spirit to come and actually transform people. Like, do we, do we not believe that anymore? And we don't get to cancel each other, right? There's some weeks over the last six or seven years that I'm sure some Restoration folks are like, I'd like to cancel our pastor, Right? Some of you heard the story, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker both had churches in, in London in the 19th century, and on one occasion, Parker, uh, Pastor Parker commented on the poor condition of the children, of the children who had been admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. So Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers. It became the talk of the town. And so people, a bunch of trolls, flocked to Parker's church the very next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. And Parker said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today, and this is the Sunday that they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I, su- I suggest we take a love offering here instead for Spurgeon's orphanage. So the crowd was delighted. The story says the ushers had to empty the collection plate three times. They emptied the collection plate three times. Later that week, there was a, there was a knock on Parker's study. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. 
Spurgeon uh, rolls in. He says, you know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Church, let's stop giving each other what we deserve. And let's start giving one another what we need the most. When God's people sacrificially share grace, the church and the world gets this infusion of abundant life. They get a, they get a taste of the character of God in Christ. They get a taste of the character of Christ in His people. And they get to breathe. They get to breathe in this gift that only God can bring. Amen? We share grace. Third thing is this. We, we sacrificially share our goods. So third point this morning is we sacrificially share our goods. Look at your neighbor and say, you better share your goods. <laughs> Verse 34 I'll read 34 and 35. There was not a needing person among them. For as many were owners of lands, owners of lands or houses, they sold them, they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was not a needy person among them. This is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 15.4 which also directly applies to the covenant community of God's people. Can't say that enough. Again, this verse is to be characteristic of a covenant community of people, a people whose unity is rooted in their belief in the gospel of Jesus. Now, a few observations about verse 32 and also 34. Notice verse 32. It's important. Words are important. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But then in verse 34, it's clear that there were landowners who were selling their properties to help those who were less fortunate in a church. Personal property is still in view in this passage. Are y'all with me? Still in view. So you say, and we talked about this a little bit with Acts 2. What, what's, what's in play here? Is it some type of, of Christian communism? Absolutely not. There was no external constraint. There was no government authority or lead, leader who was forcing them to give. I've said this before. It wasn't communism. It was gospelism, Right? Everything flowed from their response to God's grace in Jesus. Everything flowed from that place. And nowhere, hear me. And, and, and listen, I, I'm not, there, there's no, we, we get all bent out of shape over trying to make like this scriptural argument for, you know, capitalism, communism, social. Listen, listen uh, none of those, all of those, are all going to have their ultimate downsides, and none can reproduce what can only happen in a gospel community. 
says, so nowhere in, is the goal uh, complete equality for everyone within their community. It says in, in terms of goods distributed. They, they distributed to, to each as they had need. It's clear what's, what's in view is this benevolence ministry that was constantly working to put every, not, not to put everyone on the same level, but to lovingly take care of those who had real need. See, next week we're going to connect the dots of verse 36 and 37 to the events of Acts chapter 5 with, with Barnabas and his introduction. I'll, I'm going to cover that next week. And I think part of what Luke is doing is he's not just like, hey, the church was sharing and giving uh, and, and just kind of this generic statement that he says, no, here's a concrete example of a, a man, a person in our community and what, what that looked like. See, Restoration Fam, the early church understood an important truth. They were stewards, not owners. They were gospel stewards. They were not owners. They didn't cling to their stuff as their own. They understood that the gospel and a a gospel ethic compelled them to give. There, there's a saying in, in the Brooks household that we often remind our boys of as they're engaging in the 14th argument of the day over a toy uh, or over toys. Uh, people over things. People over things. They grow weary of us saying it, but we're going to keep saying it. Right, Titus? He said amen in his heart. See, in the, in the Jerusalem church, we've talked about this before, but there would have been a necessity, this necessity to share goods. Why? Because, listen, the moment as a Jew that you were baptized into Christ and you were baptized into the covenant community, <laughs> it meant there was a very real threat of being ostracized from your family, from opportunities for work, from temple worship, from Jewish culture. This, listen, it would have created a great surplus of need in the early Jerusalem church, which was already an extremely poor church to begin with, a poor city to begin with. And although throughout the New Testament we, we see the evidence of generosity in the early church, nowhere, nowhere do we see communal giving quite like we do in, 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 in the church in Jerusalem. So the question is, is, is Luke being prescriptive? Is he being descriptive? Is he just describing what they did? Is he prescribing it, saying this is how the, all churches of all time need to do it? Uh, perhaps both. But we got to understand the unique hardships and the unique circumstances that face the Jerusalem church that necessitated this type of giving. I will say this, the American church does not get a free pass. We don't get a free pass. Church family, there is need all around us. And no, we don't necessarily have to like, uh, we're not going to come together today and pull all of our resources and bank accounts and properties. You're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and bounce on that. Um, we're not going to pull together in this giant restoration pot, but 
There's a reason that communal giving is a core value of restoration. Our natural tendency is to cling to our stuff. Our natural fleshly tendency is just to cling to our goods. We, we need this constant gospel reminder that we are stewards, not owners. So we share our goods. Restoration fam, I, I, I had, uh, we pulled the numbers this week. And over the last five months of this COVID pandemic, in addition to restoration, we, we, we have felt called from the beginning. Early on, it was more like 15%. Right now, it's probably closer to 10 We We give away about 10% of our budget to missions and to church planting. But in addition to that, over the last five months, RCB has been able to give away an additional $15,000 to people who are in need. And, and I don't say that as a, as a like I, I, I hesitate, I don't say that as a brag on restoration. It's a brag ultimately on the Lord. And, and I, God, is, God is blessing restoration. He is blessing, but I, I firmly believe that a huge part of that has been your faithfulness in giving. A big, a massive part of that has been your faithfulness. Restoration family, you, you guys, y'all continue to sacrificially share your goods. You continually, sacrificially share your finances. In restoration as a local church, we're just, we're going to keep giving away money to people who are in need. But I believe that the end result is that the gospel is validated. And the gospel is exalted. And here's the key, where, where you see churches and where you see Christians hoarding their goods and hoarding their money, and let me say this the right way, overly focused on their savings and their investments and their security and their comfort and their health, while people around them suffer and have great need, what you are really seeing is a gospel breakdown in application. Church, we sacrificially share our goods. Amen? And I'll, 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 I'll close. I want to close with this, this this morning. This past week, I got, I got word. I, I did not know uh, this, this man, but there was a church planter in Houston. And by a guy by the name of John Powell, it actually, they had been sent out to plant through a good friend of mine, uh, Nathan Leno, Northeast Houston Baptist. They sent uh, this, this guy, John Powell, and his family to New Caney to plant a church in North Houston. And last week, I got, we got word that he had been tragically struck in a, in a, in a, in a motor vehicle accident. But he was killed as a pastor of... of church planter with four kids, 38 years old, four kids, young wife. And he was killed by an 18-wheeler as he pulled over on the side of the road to help a, a stranded motorist. And his family and his friends are, man, they're reeling right now. But everything I've, I've read and seen about this dude is, let me tell you, I, I know this, his life was poured out for others. It was poured out, 
shared for others. And I managed to butcher my illustration about uh, Nate Saint, not Nick Saint, the martyred missionary last week, and, and, and I spoke of his son, Steve Saint. But it was Jim Elliott who perhaps became the most famous of those five missionaries who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christian, you're going to have to give your life away to find it. Not my words, that's what Scripture says. It's the ultimate paradox. But this is God's design. This is God's character. And this is, this is the wonder of the cross in the example of Jesus. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christian, are you clinging to your life? Are you clinging to your comfort? Are you clinging to security? Are you clinging to your stuff right now? Maybe it's because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. You want to lay down, you want to lay down your life then look to Jesus. Look, look to the cross. Look to the source of sacrificial love and believe and receive it. Only then, only then can you give your life away. Y'all pray with me this morning.